0: And we're live, I'm Bobby Burton, on a Longhorn live stream Friday, uh, joined by Ian Boyd, X's and O's expert of InsideTexas.com, and Jerry Hamilton of InsideTexas.com, and on three, uh, college football, uh, basketball, and recruiting expert.
1: Uh, Guys, welcome in. How are you guys doing? I'm
2: good. Uh, I'm excited.
1: I'm great. I'm 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 now a Spurs fan. (laughs) Trans, I'm transitioning down to I-10. <laughs>
0: hey, it's, it's what happens when you get the number one pick in the draft. Uh, guys, uh, speaking with uh, both Ian Boyd and Jerry Hamilton, we have a nice show today, I think. Uh, couple of want to go over a couple of things. Uh, one, uh, the band game. Uh, we we want to talk a little bit about that. I wrote an article this morning about how pass-heavy uh, Alabama was a year ago in this game and what might be the difference this year. Uh, also talk about what Texas needs to do on defense. In my my opinion, uh, Jerry, uh, we're going to let you get into a little bit of Tyrese Hunter and his return uh, and what that means to the long basketball team. Because I know you're really, really high on that. And then there's some news shaking in the portal right now for Texas that uh, you're very, very well aware of, perhaps more so than just about anybody out there. And, and then Ian, we want to talk a little bit more with you about not only uh, the Bama game itself and what differently. Uh, but also uh, some of the rankings that just recently came out for Texas players listed in the top 100 college players in college football uh, for next year. Pro Football Focus also came out with a list that listed three uh, offensive players among the top 10 at their position as well. Of course, we'll also be taking y'all's questions. Uh, if you have those questions, please get into the queue. We'll try to get them up. You can either list them here on YouTube or on our Inside Texas. Uh, members-only thread, uh, and we'll try to make sure to get those to you uh, or get today. Uh, Jerry has been getting a lot of recruiting questions lately, uh, and I know those are going to be a, a reality. Uh, but anyways, all right, let's get it going here uh, and try to uh, move forward uh, and start with a discussion uh, about the, the four players in the top 100. Uh, Xavier Worthy, Kelvin Banks, Quinn Ewers, and A.D. Mitchell. Were the top four players uh, in the top 100 for Texas, uh, Jerry, Ian? What do y'all, what do you two think about that?
2: Uh, I, I'm a little surprised not to see their two inside guys, Chatavian Sanders and Jordan Whittington. If I were ranking, like for the NFL draft, I might go Mitchell and Worthy higher. But if I, if we're talking, are going to make plays in college football next season? Um, mm-hmm. Well, also for the NFL draft with Sanders. I would I think Sanders and Whittington are more likely to be uh, higher volume impact players. But those other guys are good too. Jerry, what were you going to say, Jerry?
1: Yeah, you know, if it's just college football, I mean, if we had Derek Johnson on here, he'd tell you Jalen Ford should be on that list, uh, you know? Yeah. I mean, because of just how instinctive and productive he was. I mean, I, Ian, if you haven't seen that interview Derek Johnson did with um uh Jalen Ford, look it up on on YouTube. It Derrick Johnson had extremely high praise for Jalen Ford. And we're talking about a what potential pro football hall of famer. I thought that was interesting. So maybe, maybe him. I do think AD Mitchell's gonna have a big year. uh I, so I'm interested to see, you know, the Texas has a really, really good year if this list is redone and you end up with six on it, right? I mean, if you have a, if you end up with six guys in the top 100 players after the season, you've had a hell of a season because you know it's going to be quarterback, tackle, wide receiver, and defensive guys up the middle on this team. So it'll be interesting to see. But, um, you yeah, know, I probably would have had five on there. I, I have a question. I, I don't necessarily think that I would have put Quinn Ewers in this
0: top 100 off the bat. And, and I know that sounds odd because he's the the leader of the team the the quarterback but worthy banks I, I I look I think worthy a lot of people are are really giving him the benefit of the doubt after a very so so sophomore season simply because they see his elite speed and ability to get open. a lot of those guys didn't see the drops like we did. They thought Washington was an anomaly and not more of what we saw on a regular basis whereas while washington was anomaly because he didn't miss that many balls or he didn't drop that many catches as he did in that game i don't know that he's the 21st best uh, 21st best player country but, uh, that that's i think awesome.
2: if if yours and worthy break out and you don't have them in your preseason top list you look really stupid because they're both like dominant physical you know players but um, and then if you do put them in the top, and then they don't show up, then it's like, well, you know, Paradivas didn't maximize the Texas again, and then you don't look that stupid. It's not your fault. So I I sympathize with their ordering. I
1: I I think it's interesting. I think Quinn is such an interesting one because people are backing themselves into the corner corner on ewers. Um, people aren't going to be able to have it both ways sark's a great quarterback developer and whisperer right so quinn is projecting to go in the first round if he doesn't live up to it then people are backing themselves in their corner because you're either saying oh well you can't sit there it's going to be hard to say sark's not a quarterback developer you can't take that one back when it doesn't help your argument right so it's going to be a very interesting debate this season and and then if Quinn ends up being the first-round pick, which his talent says he should be, then Sark's going to reap all the benefits and praise from that. Uh, but if Quinn doesn't, are people going to – they have back themselves in the corner. It's going to be pretty interesting on that one. I'm, I'm I'm, an interested follower, I'll say that.
0: All right, we're going to get to y'all's questions in just a moment. want to say thank you to our sponsor, Andy Dot .net. If you're looking to own – you want to look at – a possible franchise, Andy, a 10 plus year of uh, putting people, in businesses that they own and operate themselves. Check out at uh, and or email him at Andy at He'll help you out. Thank you, Andy, for your continued sponsorship of uh, the live stream. Uh, guys, uh, Jerry, I'm going to pitch this to you. Tyrese Hunter coming back. What does it mean for the Longhorn
1: Ah oh, man, it's huge. Um, it's huge because you know Texas now again. Um, look, I mean, and and I'm when I say this, it's because I believe Kendall Weaver is much is going to be really good and better than people think. He's kind of like Jabari Rice. I'm not saying as a, as a sophomore he's going to be like Jabari's a senior, but he's always going to play above expectations. Um, I was talking to a college coach about this earlier today. He's just that guy he has all the traits that Jabari Rice has. So you put Hunter back with Max Asmus. Um, and now you have Weaver in the mix. You, you know, you're one really good guard away from arguably having a better backcourt than last year, at least offensively. Um, and so it, it's going to be very interesting. And the reason I say that is, you know, look, Tyrese Hunter going into last year it was he can't shoot. Well, he improved 7% from three. Year three, he's, he's going to keep improving. He's not going to improve 7%. He'll improve, improve a little more, especially if he stays healthy all year. So him at a 36, 37% three-point shooter, that wouldn't shock me. Um, you know, Acemas is going to shoot around 40 with 100 makes. I mean, so you're – Weaver's 40% from three as a freshman. I don't care what level of division one basketball you play. 40% is up there for a freshman uh, from 22 feet, And when, especially when you're the whack freshman of the year. So they're one more guard piece away, and I'm going to get into that because this, there's some huge portal stuff going on right now with Texas. But then you look at Brock Cunningham back. Anna Mokwe is a guy they're high on in year, in year two as a good role player. Uh, we'll see how big of a jump he can make. Um, but then, you know, Texas has improved defensively uh, in rim protection in the offseason and just size with Caden Shedrick and Zarek and Yemna. Uh, those are bouncy athletes. And Shedrick, 6'11", to go with Dylan DeSue, 6'9", and, and Yimna 6'8", 230". Um, he's the and Yim is the only bad free throw shooter of the bunch on the whole team right now of, of the eight guys that are there. So when you look at Texas, they if they add one or two more pieces, they want two more pieces, it's gonna be interesting to see. Um, and I think we lost Bobby Ian is, you know, Texas is right there with Caleb Love, and, and he's kind of uh he kind of ignites everything because Carolina had a bad season. Um, he didn't have a good season. I think he's viewed a certain way by fans, but then Hurley wants him at UConn, Texas wants him, Oates wants him at Bama. I mean, so it's like, okay, if the Caleb Love from 21-22 season, which helped lead Carolina to national title, shows up, if he were to be added to the mix at Texas, then their guards are easily Final Four good-level guys. I mean, they have guys that have played in Sweet 16s, Elite 8s. Uh, You have elite shooters. You have size and athleticism. Um, with Love, uh, they would have a chance to be a big-time backcourt and offensively better than last year. If Cam Spencer, the grad transfer from Rutgers, who Texas has interest in, if he were to come to Texas and not Love, Texas have the best shooting team they've ever had. I, I'm 100% convinced of that um, because Cam Spencer is a four guard from Rutgers who averaged 13, four rebounds, three assists at, at Rutgers last year in the Big Ten. He shot 43% from three, 90 from the free throw line. If you added a Cam Spencer, he's a great half-court player. He really knows how to play without the ball, move without the ball, play to spacing really well. Texas might shoot 40% from three as a team if they get Cam Spencer next year. Texas has never shot 40% from three. The Kevin Durant, Augustine, Abrams teams are in the 39-5 range. Texas never had a team that shot eighty percent from the free throw line. They're on track to do that next year, right now. So, offensively, I think Texas has a chance to be really, really good, even better than last year. Defensively, we'll see. I mean, Marcus Carr, his game went to another level defensively as a senior. Then you have to mesh it all together. But Tyrese Hunter is huge. It gives a guy that guards the ball really well, especially when he's healthy. A guy that improved his offensive game from one year, from year one to year two in college. And a guy that, to me, is going to be playing with something to prove. And, and that's what's interesting about Caleb Love from North Carolina, too, is, like, the reason, like, some Texas fans are hot and cold on him. But here's why I would be hot on Caleb Love if he came to Texas. He has something to prove. He has something a lot to prove. And he's a very talented guy. It was one time a projected first-round pick. So if you get that guy playing his best year, his final year in college, then suddenly you have a really good team.
2: So, Jerry, you re- remind me of that. Uh, this this lineup in general reminds me a little bit of that A.J. Abrams, D.J. Augustine, Justin Mason lineup. I look up Kendall Weaver. He's 6'3", 170 pounds, even smaller than that uh, backcourt in some ways. How big a concern is that if they have – like, Abe Miss is, like, what, six flat?
1: Yeah, he's six foot, six foot and a half, yeah. And, and, sorry, and Cyrus Hunter six foot – You know, it, it's, it's not a – It's not as much of a concern as, like, when I look at it and say, people say, well, Texas have a short backcourt. You're okay with a short backcourt if you have rim protection behind it, right? I mean, like, that's the way I look at it. But Texas, that's the whole key is that Caleb Love's a 6'4 guy. Cam Spencer's a 6'4 guy. If your final two pieces you add are 6'4 guards, a 6'4 guard, a 6'6 ball forward, then you can kind of mask a lot of that. I'm not as much worried about that. Um, is the bigger thing for me would just be how do all the guys mesh together in a short amount of time. Um, That would be the big thing for me because if you're better in the paint protecting the rim and you're a little bit better rebounding out of your area, I don't think it's that much of a concern because Texas would put so much pressure on teams defensively on the other end. I I think that that's what – I mean, Max Acemas has to be guarded 26 feet away from the basket. He opens up the floor more than any player Texas had last year. And that's going to be interesting how people guard Texas next year, especially if they add one more shoot, uh, guard six 6'4 that can shoot the ball from the wing. It's going to be interesting to say.
2: I do remember that it was not an issue for that team with Augustine and Abrams until they played this team with Derrick Rose at point guard and the 6'7 shooting guard. And then all of a sudden they were just yeah. completely lost.
1: Yeah. And Derek Rose was a great player, right? I mean, yeah. the eligible the eligible Derek Rose was a uh, the best player in college basketball. <laughs> I, I tell you what, guys, I want to try to get in here real
0: quick and uh, do our question of the day. I understand yep. my internet is being jumpy right now. And if it is, uh, hopefully Jerry and Ian can pick up the slack for me. Uh, question of the day, our question, yep. uh, courtesy of Last Stand Hats. Uh, remember, laststandhats.com. Use the promo code Bobby10 for 10% off. Who led the Longhorns in rushing last year? Yards per carry. Had to have at least 25 carries a game. Who led the Longhorns in rushing last year? 25 carries had for to the have, season. For the entire season, had to have at least 25 total rushes. Yards per carry. Let's see if anybody gets this right off the bat with the first answer. There it is. I think this is the one that comes up first with us. Champ yeah. Bailey, uh former Georgia cornerback, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> he of the I actually saw him vertical leap 42 in the combine one time. Can't leave back. God, it's got to be 25 years ago now. Uh but Jonathan Brooks a tremendous player. Uh he is the heir apparent uh for the Longhorns uh it, this coming year at the tailback position, a couple of people mentioned uh Keelan Robinson. Uh, He's not there right now. Uh, Guys, y'all's thoughts on Jonathan Brooks and what he'll mean to this offense this year. I
2: think think most of us were a little more optimistic before he didn't get the sort of breakout party at the Alamo Bowl. And it wasn't really his fault. Like they just didn't give him the ball very much. And when they did, it went really well. Um, So I think that would have been it wasn't important for next season, really, for the development of the team. I don't think, but it sure would have uh, been helpful for the fans just to sort of see it. And instead, the run game just really fizzled out. Um, and so now, that, and then you had like all these. Well, maybe Baxter could do it. Maybe Savion Red could do it. Maybe uh, 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 there's another, you know, whoever else. They have like six running backs on the roster. So I think his. Uh, the anticipation of Jonathan Brooks has really been diluted by all that, but it, it's probably un, unimpacted in reality. Yeah,
1: it's interesting. It's almost like going to be a flip for me from last year to this year. Last year, obviously the Nair injury was big, but it was Bijan John Robinson, what can he do to help open up other guys with people focusing on the run more? This year I feel like the Texas running backs could have – more opportunities to run the daylight, so to speak, because JT Sanders, A.D. Mitchell, Worthy, Whittington, I mean, if Nayor's looking good in videos, I mean, he comes back, John Tay Cook, it's almost like a flip of last year to me. The running backs, they're not as good as last year, and I'm not saying as talented. They're not as good, though. Bijan was a special player, right? You didn't have to block for him to make a first down. This year, these guys could – and it really helps set up Baxter in his freshman year. And Jonathan Brooks is a first-year starter. If the guys around them in the skill positions are so good, it allows them more space to run. Uh, so I think Brooks is going to have a good season. I think Baxter is going to have a good season because the pieces around them are going to help them be better.
0: All right. I want to get going on some questions here, guys, uh, for uh, that people have for both Jerry and Ian, whether it's X's and O's stuff with uh, Ian or Jerry. Uh, wants to do recruiting stuff and team stuff, uh, let's just get right at it and go to E. Kim. Uh, Jerry, is Melvin Hills, defensive lineman out of uh, Louisiana, a take for Texas currently? Also, is Texas looking to take four defensive line prospects in the 2024 class? I wanted to get straight to this one because your take on Melvin Hills and I, we talked offline yesterday about this, and you're in love with the kids. So I think you know where I'm
1: going with this. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I I love the, what I like about Melvin is the bounce back from injury, the motor, how hard the guy works, all the things outside of what you see on tape. Um, I think he doesn't have the best body of those guys. He's not the chiseled, rocked up guy, but he runs really well. Um, But to answer the question, I think Texas takes four ultimately in this class Um, and I don't think they push at the five, but I I do think they take four. They have eight guys scheduled for official visits right now on the defensive front. And there's Melvin Hills. Um, Look, and Melvin, Ohio State and Oklahoma were there to see him yesterday. And they didn't make the trip – let's be real. They didn't make the trip to Lafayette just to see him. Dominic McKinley's at Acadiana down the road, right? But Melvin Hills has really come on this spring with college coaches – Ole Miss loves him. He's visiting there 9th through 11th. That is uh, Randall Joyner, one of the best young defensive line coaches, and Pete Golding, the former Bama D.C. They love him. Uh, Bo Davis, uh, PK, Terry Joseph, they all came through this spring. Uh, I think think Texas really likes Melvin Hills. Is he a take right now? It's hard to say for sure. Um, I think if he raised his hand, it would be hard to say no. But here's the thing. Eight defensive linemen are officially visiting right now. Jaden Jackson from IMG hasn't released his visits, but he's going to be there 23rd through 25th. I'll be shocked if he's not. So they have eight really talented defensive line guys coming in for four spots right now. Um, and I think Dominic McKinley is the highest rank, probably maybe the longest shot of him uh, because LSU is, is, is pretty interesting in what they're doing to attack, Guys, they're top guys in the state that other schools are targeting. Same thing with Wardell Mack, the corner that Texas is on out of John Eric. They're wanting those kids to make those officials in June, not commit before the season. Then they want the last official visit during the season. And right now it looks like Dominic McKinley and Wardell Mack, the corner, are going to comply, or at least they're saying that's the plan. And if that's the plan, those, Dominic McKinley becomes a much tougher recruitment, right? I mean, that's just kind of – you just got to follow the visits and kind of look if 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 you're playing along with LSU's strategy, then you the college coaches know they have a tougher road there. But Jaden Jackson, Terrence Hebler out of Lexington, Mississippi had a huge spring jamboree game. I mean, and now Bama's really pushing for him along with Texas, and it looks like those are the two. I don't want to discount Mississippi State or LSU or Auburn or Florida State. They're all trying to get him. Uh, but I like Melvin Hills a lot. If you take four and you tell me he's your guy that you're going to develop in the class and he gets a little time to develop, I'm not opposed to that at all.
0: Got it. I knew you had something to say about that because uh, we talk about frequently and everything is an issue. Uh, let's go to this one. We did because maybe I wanted to at the outset from a Rodolfo. A awesome. um, I, don't, I don't even remember the USC game, so no doubt – Getting a win at Bama would be the biggest win I have seen in my lifetime. Uh, I found a stat last week, or that I mentioned a stat uh, in this morning's uh, uh, stuff that basically talked about, this morning's article, excuse me, that basically said 26 of the final 30 plays from the Alabama offense against Texas were passes. What are the chances that's the direct opposite this time uh, come September, this coming September?
2: Well, hopefully, direct opposite. hopefully not direct opposite because that means they're sitting on a lead. You know? Hopefully it's 26 out of 30 again. It just goes very differently because they're trying to score their way back in the game. But yeah, no doubt. They are going to be a totally different offense. Tommy Reese is extremely different from Bill O'Brien. Bill O'Brien had them running pro style, spread passing concepts. He had all their receivers running route adjustments, Bryce Young reading the field, throwing to the tight end and the running back. Bill O'Brien is going to be uh, tight ends all over the place, running the football power run game, a little more old school Alabama with, you know, some hybrid tight end flair to change things up. But on this one, not to derail from Alabama, maybe 2018 Oklahoma would still be a bigger win than this. I would think depending on what Alabama does for the rest of the season.
1: Well, yeah, I would say 2018 Georgia in the Sugar Bowl, but they uh, pooed the bed after that as a program. I mean, that was a at the time Texas that may have been a that may have been a win Texas needed uh, from a national perspective more than and so important. But I tend to agree. The year before you head into the SEC, if you win at Bama, that's kind of like Brian Kelly beating LSU in year one last year. Um, if Texas wins at Bama the year before they go into the SEC, that's a pretty huge win for the program. And I would argue that there hadn't been a bigger one. The only one I could see would maybe would be that OU game or Georgia in 2018. But, yeah, I think because of the timing, Bama would probably be the biggest. And Nick Saban hadn't lost at mm-hmm. home at night since
2: 2015, by the way. Just that's so of long a as – you know, I think you're right. So long as Alabama doesn't collapse. Like when they beat Notre right. Dame uh uh, 2016, yeah. then it was like, oh, wait, they accept yeah. anyway. Yeah, no. as
1: long as it's not the that eight and four team Nick hadn't had since year one, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: All right, good question here. You want me to read that one, Bobby? Um, Jerry, you wrote that you believe Cory Gibson knows where he'll commit to and you haven't moved your uh, RPM off Texas. Does that mean you believe Texas is a heavy favorite over Clemson? That does not mean that. Um, here, here's what I say about Gibson's recruitment. The Clemson visit June 2nd through 4th is huge. Dabo's going to put a ton of pressure on Gibson to commit to Clemson and shut it down on that visit. If Gibson goes all the way through the recruiting process, which means his last visit's Texas, I think anything can happen in that recruitment. If Dabo can get him to shut it down after the 4th, then obviously it doesn't happen for Texas. That's where I come out on his recruitment right now. If he continues on after the 2nd through 4th weekend, um, i think that will be good news for texas
2: jerry is this another one of those uh four three four four kind of guys like uh sark was stacking at alabama and
1: now, now you know gibson is a he's probably a i mean he ran 107 right so he he's okay. a he's a four four eight four four nine four five guy he's quicker than fast i mean his shuttle probably i don't think he timed this spring but he would run 4.05 range uh but he's a guy who's played safety. Then he moved to corner this year. Schools are willing to give him a shot at corner. And so it's similar to Terrence Brooks in that he's going to start his career at corner. It's up to him to prove he can do it at corner. Wherever he ends up, if not, he probably moves to more of a nickel spot. Um, I'm sorry, he's a
2: defender. I thought he was a receiver.
1: Nah, nah, yeah, he's a a cornerback DB. um, But he is a very talented kid. I'll tell you what's interesting and impressive about Gibson is he was about a 100 and I mean, 58, 60 pounds a year ago, 15 months ago. He's a legit 175 now. He looks like a power five corner. He's really taking the weight room serious and kind of also during his natural maturation process, his physical growth process. So he's a legit six foot 175, maybe six foot and a quarter right now. 175 uh, closing in on 180. Um, but he looks really good physically, and he's the thing about it is He's kept his speed. He was in the ten sevens this spring, so it's not a guy that gained fifteen pounds and went from ten seven to ten nine. He's kept his speed uh, when he was healthiest during track season. So it's it's a uh, and I wrote on Inside Texas about some huge national recruitments. This is one of them. Like if you look at Clemson, and Clemson's really recruiting Texas more now that Brent Venables is at Oklahoma. I don't know if it's bad blood if what it is but they're definitely recruiting Texas harder. Clemson's won some recruitments um, in Syntex area, in Sewell last, in West Texas last year. The Cuba. Uh, they haven't beat Texas on a kid in DFW. Noble Johnson wasn't a guy that Texas offered the freshman receiver at Clemson last year. Um, this would be a big, kind of a bellwether win for Dabo Clemson. It's one thing to go to Westlake and, and get an line, offensive lineman and go to West Texas and get an offensive lineman. It would be another thing to go to Lancaster and beat Texas on a DB right now.
2: Do you think is, – is any of that uh, Clemson getting chased out of the Atlanta area a little bit, or it's mostly just the this Venables? they smelling some blood in the water, or they, or they think they want to get him back.
1: I think it's a combination. I think it's a great point because Georgia's never been harder to recruit in than right now uh, with Georgia winning two in a row, and there's enough talent to go around, obviously. But uh, yeah, I think it's I think it's some of that is a little tougher, um, but I also think when Clemson realized that Gibson has always wanted to go there, and then they actually looked at him and said, "Okay, this guy's really a good player," and they got him on campus. You know, Dabo's all about that on-campus in-person meeting that's when Clemson really turned the heat up on him when they offered him. Um, And when he visits June 2nd through 4th, that'll be his third time out there since he's been at Texas. Uh, So I think it's a little bit of both. I think it's definitely tougher to go in Atlanta and get who you want right now for Nick Saban, for Clemson, uh, for anybody. Uh, But I also think Dabo likes the idea of recruiting Texas more. I think those kids are pretty good fits in his program. I think he realizes that. So – how are we looking injury-wise? Can we expect everybody back for fall camp? Uh, Ian, let's go through some of those guys. We have Jalen Catalan. Uh, we have Isaiah Nayor. Bobby, we're talking about guys that are injured back for fall camp. We have Keelan Robinson, who should be fine, right? Uh, Isaiah Nayor's running. Catalan's really should be. That's kind of the guy that I, you know. I kind of say, okay, he's the one that had a little bit of a cleanup procedure in the spring. Uh, but what are y'all's thoughts on that? Is that Connor Connor Robertson? And Cole Hudson as well.
2: And DJ Campbell, right? Didn't he have like a wrist or something? And and DJ with a wrist, yeah. Uh,
0: I hope my internet is better. I apologize. It's better.
1: It's
2: better.
0: Okay, good. I I only see one of you now. (laughs) I apologize for that. Um, Let me get straight to the point on this. Uh, Steve Sarkeesian a week ago uh, at the Houston Touchdown Club said that he expects everybody back uh, and ready to go by August, no later than – August, possibly as early as July. That includes DJ Campbell. That includes Cole Hudson, Isaiah Nayor, the whole crew. Um, We talked at length. I I am just, uh, I don't know how else to say this, but I don't, and please knock on wood. uh, Texas is as healthy as they have been entering a season in so long. And this is coming off a year, guys, where they didn't have bad injury luck other than maybe Quinn Ewers at one point and Isaiah no- Nayor. Those yeah. are the only two major, major injuries they had a year ago. Um, and it's, to me, I, I can't tell you, how, Xavier how Xavier Delgado, how fortunate Texas it is that they are so healthy. I mean, it, it's amazing.
1: I, I, I would, I don't know, pro football focus may have a stat. I wouldn't know. How many offensive lines started every game in a 12, 13, 14-game season? All five starters, nobody missed a game. I mean, that's so rare. That's why it's so important, this depth build on the offensive line. Because, look, Cole Hudson obviously played through injury last year. The chances of you having all five guys never miss more than a series together probably doesn't happen this year. That's why the depth build the spring in August is so big for me. Um, and that's where the recruiting really comes into play. Texas is healthier than they've ever been. Again, if they have five guys starting the offensive line without injury two years in a row, I mean, those guys should feel very blessed. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I think that I think they're they're in good shape.
0: I just feel that that's the way it is, and I want to I want to keep it that way. So we're not going to mention it anymore, Xavier. How about, <laughs> how about, that? We're how about that? We're talking
1: depth. We're talking
0: depth. I want to say thanks to our sponsor, uh, Andy Ludicky of MyPerfectFranchise.net. One more time, uh, if you're looking to get into the franchise game and want to talk to an expert, Andy Ludicky is that guy. He can take you through a number of different businesses, uh, everything from uh, food service to I don't know, storage storage sheds, those sorts of things. Anything and everything in between, try it out. Andy at myperfectfranchise.net. Uh, he may have the business that's just right for you. Uh, all right, let's go to this one. Ian, I, I got a question for you. Uh, and it really is something that I just see us doing a lot more this year. And I think you do as well.
2: So definitely more spread. Um, 11 personnel. Jatavian Sanders is the tight end. Um, we, we talked last time about a potential, I called it, DEFCON 1 package. Get four receivers on the field and, and use Whittington in and out of the backfield as a running back. That's pretty extreme level of spread, um, but that would be a good idea. RPOs are interesting with Texas. Sark ran so many of them with Tua Tonga-Vailoa. He ran some with Mac Jones, but a little less. And he's not really been full bore with RPOs at Texas yet. And I don't know if that's been that, you know, he didn't want to major in it. He had young quarterbacks that he was trying to develop and other things. And so they didn't give as much time to RPO mastery. Uh, If it was limitations of Casey Thompson or Hudson Card or Quinn Ewers that led them to use less RPOs. Without knowing the answer to that, it's a little harder to guess. But I would assume we would see more RPOs if they're in the spread than in the past because you kind of have to use RPOs when you're in the spread unless your quarterback can run the ball. Um, So that one will be an interesting thing to monitor, just the extent to which they add RPOs to the offense this year but spread alignments is a no brainer for sure. They're going to do that. If they don't do that, then I think they're going to be missing the boat. You know, you really want, you really want to get Whittington in the slot. You want to be able to move Sanders around. You want to be able to run multiple route combinations, uh, free up just and get all these receivers on the field. If nothing else.
0: I want to go in real quick on this uh, because we had another, another question uh, as it relates to, uh, Uh, Jalen Gilbo. We hadn't heard much of him. He was one of the ones that Sark mentioned by name that he expected back. Uh, The uh, young freshman out of Port Arthur. Now I guess he's a sophomore. He tours MCL. Uh, He's expected back uh, next year. Uh, Jerry, I want to get your take on uh, one thing real quick. Uh, And that's this quality in 2024 versus 2023 from football, Texas are the 24 recruits. Less th- talented than twenty three overall, not Texas recruits, but for the whole country, feels like twenty three had more splash players. Well, they definitely had bigger names, including Arch yeah. Manly,
1: But yeah, I, you know, better players. I mean, I don't know about that. Yeah, I mean, I think the quarterback class in twenty three was really talented, right nationally. Um, and like you said, I mean, there's some big names within that. Um, I, I think. I think what's interesting though is I think that's a better question next year come January, uh, because offensive line guys are such late developers, right? I mean, and those guys tend to make big jumps as senior and, and the defensive line guys, right? I mean, there's some, I think the defensive line guys may be underrated nationally as a whole right now. Uh, there's a lot of really talented guys that are still ranked three stars. I, I just don't think they are honestly. And even a kid like Terrence Hiebler is a low four. He's better than that. Um, so I, I think the 23 class is going to look better because the quarter, it was a really good, strong quarterback class. And we'll see if that pans out onto the field with these kids. But um, I, I think 23-4 is is pretty comparable nationally outside of quarterback. I really like the offensive line class in 2024 nationally. And uh, State of Texas is part of that. Those those kids are really coming up right now. All right. I uh, want to stick with you
0: here, Jerry. Uh, from Joel McWaters, do you think we will see more guys enroll early as the er- early enrollees seem to have a real advantage when summer camp starts or really actually when spring ball starts?
1: Yeah, I- I'll never understand. You know, like we've had Samaje Burrell on the show before. I'll never understand why a kid wouldn't be an early enrollee that could at this point. Um, I get enjoying your senior year. I, I understand it. Um, but it is a massive advantage for these kids to come in. In, in go through spring football practice, because you're also with your strength and conditioning guy two or two months longer, right? Uh, it, it's a huge, huge advantage. I mean, look, think about the way we're talking about Anthony Hill right now. We wouldn't be talking about him in the same realm if he hadn't been here uh, for the spring semester. I mean, we wouldn't be able to say, look at him and think about the impact he could have. Without seeing some glimpses of it in the spring, uh, so I, I do, will more guys enroll early if they can. Not all schools, high schools, have graduation early enrollees. Not all kids get to that point. They get may some kids get so far behind when they're freshmen they can't get there. Um, but if more kids aren't planning for this right now, I, I don't know what to tell them. It, it's a huge advantage. And and Bobby, you can talk about this. When does it, does it help start your nil clock earlier? Is that part of your process? It, it does.
0: It does. Yeah. It absolutely would. But here's the bigger thing for me, Jerry. And, and this is important because NIL, you can't get paid until you're on campus, period. Right. If, if not, it's an illegal inducement. Period. Right. right. So that, that's certainly part of it. But the big one for me is this. You have four years in college football. Well, if you are a regular enrollee, you really only have three spring trainings. Right. If you early enroll, you have all of a sudden four full seasons, including four full springs. If you're a four year player, five year player, three year player, whatever that that that's just such a, a valuable piece. I know not everybody can pass two or three years of math and time and English and and uh, move forward and all that stuff. But I, I think it's an undeniable advantage yeah. to a young man to get that early taste of what college is about and what it really is going to take to succeed in college football. Because I can tell you right now, if you don't know after the first three months, you're hosed. You're, it's you, it's going to be a long road for you. And there are guys right now that are still coming in in June or late May. I guess they get get here next week, right? Um, that are in, in a situation where they don't know what to expect. And I, I think that's, you know, I think that's hurtful in some ways because they're not working as hard
1: as they could. I think there's another piece that kids should think about with this, and parents are the circles of these kids. With the portal, being an early enrollee helps you that much more because if you're not, those guys that you're competing with are coming in in the portal, and those guys already have experience on you. You're really missing the boat if you're not an early enrollee to go in and compete against the portal guys that transfer out. Burrell is a perfect example versus Lafau. Yep. You know,
0: uh, Leonga Lafau that entered uh, from uh, uh, Hawaii early. Uh, All right. Sharpshooter, this one's for you, Ian, I think. Do you think our offensive production in the second half will be improved over last year? If yes, then why?
2: Yes, because Quinn Ewers will be much more experienced and it'll be much easier to make adjustments and, uh, Count on him and Sark to have more answers. You know, last year they were, I think, scrambling really to get Ewers up to speed just in being a average Big 12 quarterback just in terms of his command of the offense, not in terms of his talent or overall ability where he's obviously way above average, but just in getting him to a place of comfort with, this is what we do if this happens. This is what we do if this happens. I think he was well below average last year at times. Unless it was a game where he had, you know, a month to prepare like Alabama or Oklahoma or the Washington game. This year, if you see like Alabama, yours in every game, you know, with that level of preparedness and that you're, it's going to look very different. And the second half will be an obvious place for that changes. Uh,
0: question for you, Jerry, who wins a natty first basketball
1: or football? Hmm. That's a, t- that, that's a tough question because... Are, are there fewer
0: real possibilities in football and that makes the, the concentration
1: of talent more difficult? Well, I think football's about to get easier with the playoffs going to 12, right? I mean, the regular season was absolutely everything in football. Now you can have a hiccup, right? I mean... Um, it's it's an interesting question because basketball to me is if you can, if you can go into Portland, pull five guys in that are really good. And that goes, guys actually mesh and knock down shots for two straight weeks. You could pull off. I mean, just FAU San Diego state playing for a national title and FAU getting to the final four, how much money would anybody have lost before the season? If they had, if they were betting on that, Right. So it's obviously easier in basketball with the portal, because if you can put these pieces together and they can all shoot the ball and they play together, you could have a couple of hot weekends and you're there, right? I mean, but, but isn't
0: it, Jerry? Isn't is, it more randomized? Is it more rand? Isn't it more randomized in that way?
1: Yeah, you know, yeah, it is. What's interesting about basketball last year is I don't, I still don't think UConn was the best team. They were the healthiest, really good team that played well at the end of the year. If people can't sit here and say if, you, if UCLA was 100% healthy, that UConn absolutely would have beat them. You can't say that. UCLA played them without the Pac-12 defensive player of the year and a five-star freshman first-round pick at center. Yeah, you're not going to beat UConn if two of your top five guys are out. Um and injuries were really impactful in college basketball last year, but college football, I think, is is gonna be easier with the college football playoff because boy, does that help your blue bloods. Got it. Yeah, Dean, I want to go back to you on this.
2: Okay.
0: It's, it's a it's the same kind of question about Quinn Ewers, just a little bit deeper dig from Jared Voswinkel. We depended on Bijan Rojo to carry the team in the clutch time. K State, Oklahoma State, Iowa State, Baylor. Last two touchdown drives, Ewers had no contribution. Did Ewers go out and win a close one?
2: That's like I mean, that's the season, in a nutshell. I do wonder. um, You know, there were times where, like, the first game of the season and the last game of the season, two of the most had two of the most impressive plays Quinn Ewers made all year. Mm -hmm. Uh, In the first game of the year, he had this play where he was sort of scrambling, and then he found Jatavian Sanders with a little flick. And you just saw the ball just fly out of his hands and hit Sanders in stride for uh, a, a long gain or touchdown. I can't remember the specifics. And then the one where he hit Worthy on the move against Washington, where he scrambled up in the pocket, and then at a weird angle, all of a sudden he just flicks the ball and nailed Xavier Worthy in stride. Uh, for a big gain on, it might've been on third down. I don't remember. Anyway, Quinn Ewers has some, I hesitate to say this, but Mahomes-ish playmaking ability when he's just kind of moving around and flinging the ball around. And you don't really, you didn't see that in the offense as much last year because there was so much max protection, only two or three guys out in routes. Um, They could get an extra gear from Quinn Ewers doing a little bit of a Colt McCoy-ish scramble around and find some of these amazing receivers on the move uh, dynamic to the offense. And that would be exactly the kind of uh, second half or two-minute drill adjustment that could allow Texas to win some close games and also to uh, – that could be what it looks like to lean on Quinn Ewers this year. Would be to allow that part of his game to take a much greater uh, precedence in the in their style and approach. I don't know that I don't know that Sark would necessarily be in love with that style because he loves to draw things up, you know. Um, but he may have to get over that if he hasn't already because I think that's probably their ticket to 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 overcome the loss of being able to just lean on teams late with Rashan and Bijan. Well, I feel
0: like I I do think that they they played into what their strength of the team was in crucial moments. Baylor is part. I mean, they didn't throw the ball the last two drives, I don't think, or last three drives, uh, if if at all. If it one may have been a screen pass, I mean, at the most, right? Um, Iowa State Ewers did connect on the fourth down pass, which I thought was big. He had a big one dropped by uh, Casey Kane. Uh, as well. There there were plays there. That's number one. My second piece, Jared, would be, and, and to everyone else, everybody thinking that we've seen the best of Quinn Ewers and that there's not development left in him, I just, I couldn't disagree more. And um, we are just now seeing what he could, that, you know, how good is he going to be? I don't know, but he's going to be plenty, plenty good. Um, and so I would, I would say that that would be, Uh, one to watch for. I also want to mention uh, that uh, uh, the Longhorns right now uh, are really in a situation where they're also changing what they do that I think will help Quinn Ewers. I mean, having more outlets and not be so dialed into just two guys like they were so often
1: last year is going to help Quinn as well. Two guys without without really high point ball skills too, by the way, where every pass had to be perfect.
0: Yeah, that's a good. That's point. a lot of pressure on a young quarterback. That's a great point, Jerry. Uh, David Williams, uh, guy that we know well, uh, always has good questions. The most interesting position battles will be the guard positions on offense. I agree with that. An outside linebacker on defense. I agree with that, except for maybe corner. Maybe corner. Uh, I personally think Devon Campbell, Hayden Connor, and Anthony Hill will start. Anybody want
2: to take that one? What do we mean by outside linebacker? Do we mean overshone or a goof?
0: I think we mean overshone.
2: Okay.
0: Yeah. Who's going to start opposite Anthony Hill. David Benda earned the right this spring to be the leader heading into next fall uh, to fall camp. Uh, But Jerry has heard from numerous folks. We've heard from behind the scenes that Anthony Hill is just, he may be tough to keep off the field, period.
1: Yeah, I was actually told they'll be shocked if, shocked if he's a, not the starter at will next year, I mean, from game one. We'll see. I mean, we'll we'll see on that. Um, I think Devon Campbell's one of the more interesting guys because um time a guy's rated a five-star guy, the expectations go through the roof. Um, DJ Campbell didn't come out as a five-star offensive lineman necessarily. He came out as a really talented athlete that had spent as much time at D-tackle as he did on the offensive line. And then he played tackle, which he's not going to play. So he's learning how to play offensive line, and he's doing it in a new position. Uh, So the spring was really big for him. I'm glad his injury happened late in the spring and not early, so he got a lot of reps. But he's the the most interesting guy. If he – is a guy that Texas, I believe, needs to take a big step because he is so talented. I think he can be such a difference maker in the run game. They need him to take that step. The question with Hayden Connor, Bobby, Ian for all is does he get a chance to compete at center with Jake Majors and Connor Robertson? A really, a real center competition because the plan in the spring was Cole Hudson left guard and DJ Campbell right guard, which meant Hayden Connor was going to kind of be a swing guy that competed at center guard and kind of wherever they needed him to Uh,
0: look i i don't know i I don't think i I just you and i agree on one thing extraordinarily hard to displace a three-year starter right i mean just there's even even with and i and i say this because i like jake majors but how many snap infractions does he have compared to the average center it's quite a few um, and so I don't know that he's necessarily a natural center even, uh, so whoever the next guy in line might be, whether that's Hayden Connor, I still think that Cole Hudson might have gotten that look, had he been healthy this spring. Um, and I think that's his best long-term position. The other thing I wanted to mention on this, Jerry and Ian, I want to get your take a little bit. What do you think of the cornerback position right now? Cause I think that might actually be the most competitive or interesting position battles that people they they think that Ryan Watts is just the the automatic starter, which he probably is. But I'm telling I'm telling you, the coaches love Gavin Holmes and Terrence Brooks. You know Malik Muhammad or Manny Muhammad, right there too. I think cornerback may be the most interesting position battle on defense. Well, this-
1: hey Ian, before you get the corner, first thing, your thought on Hayden Connor at center, second watch in the spring game before you get the corner.
2: Oh shoot! Well, I didn't really pay attention to Hayden Connor at center that much. Okay. Um, I will say that Connor Stroh, I did notice Connor Stroh is a real load, so I'm kind of expecting <laughs> to see him a little sooner than than later now. Um, I don't know, Connor. I mean, maybe you're right. Uh, he's he's really good at a lot. He's really good, but not necessarily great at every position in spring. It feels like when he was at left tackle, he looked like he might have been the best left tackle before uh, Kelvin Banks entered the program. Um, So we'll see. I I don't know. Um, I I have another position for you to, to go crazy about in a second, but uh, I think the thing with corner Bobby is that while it's like maybe the most competitive battle in the entire team, it's not necessarily that interesting because it doesn't feel like the stakes are very high. You know, it's like, Oh, and Malik Muhammad is going to be like the most high-stakes thing. Would be like Malik Muhammad wins the starting role, and you're like, "Oh, wow, freshman! That's that's interesting." But there's no, no, you're not, you're not counting on anyone to win. It's not like, like a weak side linebacker. If Anthony Hill doesn't win that battle, then you're going with like a lower-rated, less athletic veteran, right? So I'll tell like, you Are we going to have a high-floor veteran? Or we going to have an exciting blue chip, awesome athlete? Whereas at corner, it's like, it's going to be a really good player. No matter, you could, you could come up with like four or five combinations. You can move Jaday Barron back outside. You can move Austin Jordan back outside. They're going to have really good corners, no matter what. Uh-huh. Uh, they're not going to do that. I'm just saying they, they have so many options that it's like, whatever happens, I think fans are almost just like, oh, cool.
0: I got to say yeah. this. Um, I disagree, because last year Texas didn't have a corner they could put on an island in the in the field. Deshaun Jamison was not that dude. He played seven yards off, uh, and I mean J- Deshaun Jamison was a better zone corner than he was a, a man corner. But he's built like a man corner, right? No one really made him um,
2: pay. Like who's the team that attacked Texas at corner? You know,
0: I, I can tell you that I, as a defensive coordinator, I would sleep better. With a corner out there that I trusted, than the op- the linebacker opposite. That's why I put the pressure on it. But hey, this is a this is a fair question, and you made fair points. Who was What was the other uh, position that you were? Oh thinking yeah, of oh yeah. Uh, yeah.
2: What uh, what are the odds that DJ Campbell finishes his career at Texas as the solution to replacing Devondre Sweat?
1: Yeah, <laughs> zero. Zero. Why? The uh, DJ Campbell. No, nah, because that that's not where his family and his circle sees his future at zero. Ooh. He'd transfer.
2: Yeah, you wonder because it's like the it, line is not coming that fast to him, but he has all this length and athleticism right. and power, and so you just wonder like, could he just be a dominant nose tackle and three technique and get on the field faster? You,
1: well, you know what's an interesting to that is interesting to that point is. I was I talked to three college coaches this year when I was on the road and ran into guys. And th- all three of them were part of an Ashton Robinson recruitment at diff various schools, Texas, Alabama. And college coaches to this day still think Ashton Robinson would have been a multi-year pro bowl offensive guard. But that kid wanted to play defensive line and he's made it a career because he was athletic enough with the size to make it as a defensive lineman, but they all still believe he would have been a better offensive lineman. So if DJ Campbell, Texas said, okay, man, look, we think you can play in the NFL here. He, he, he might, he, he's athletic enough to do it and he's got the frame to do it. And um, it would be interesting because I, I, what I would say, that's what, I, what I'm trying to say with DJs. He has two paths to be a good player. He doesn't just have one.
0: Yeah. that's And that's one of the reasons why it was rated so highly coming out of high school yeah. as well. Uh, yeah. All right, uh, Les Grossman, thank you for the super chat. We appreciate it. I would love to see Arch come in or start against Iowa State if the game doesn't mean too much or a blowout. Well, he's not going to start unless there's injury, would be my guess. That would be number one, uh, and I think it will matter. I would um, not
2: I would not pick Iowa State either as the guinea pig team.
0: Right, because you love their defense, what they do on D, right, Ian?
2: Yeah, that, that's a nightmare for a young quarterback. They don't play – the three safety deal in, in Louisiana high schools, you know, that, <clears throat> that is, that is a very tough defense to play against, especially if you haven't seen it before. If the idea is, Hey, let's get Archer's feet wet in a game that, you know, you can win no matter what I it's not at oh, Iowa state. That is not it. That is a, that is a dangerous trap game. It would be, you know, rice or, uh, uh Wyoming, Wyoming. Yeah. I don't know if there's this, I don't know if there's a there's probably not a game on the big 12 schedule where any coach would even consider that except as a, everyone else is hurt kind of deal.
1: People have to remember the best scenario for Texas is Quinn plays like a first rounder and is drafted in the first round. That is the best scenario for Texas football.
0: Uh, Kyle v- J- Vachaska. Sorry about the pronunciation there, Kyle. I uh, has a question for Ian. Given the ability to bring in a top-notch edge guy, whether recruiting or the portal, could it be the Jack and Buck positions are not enticing enough in PK's scheme? Like, do you think that's part of it? Um,
2: Or is it just a more difficult ask? No. Well, it's probably that PK is not an amazing recruiter. Um, Georgia runs the, like, least sexy defense of all time for an edge player. And they they just like they they send one to the NFL. they send one or two in the first round almost every year they're like hey edge guy come in here and you're either going to play inside of an offensive tackle and get zero sacks and just get you know mauled every game or play outside where you can rush the passer but you're actually just going to drop all day because Kirby wants to blitz the inside linebackers that's how Georgia does things it does not matter they still come and then they still get drafted high. Like how many sacks did that guy? Uh, who was it? That was t- Beal. No, he was the one that replaced him.
1: Nolan yeah, Smith.
2: Yeah, no, I can't even remember his name. Right. That's that's what happens to. But he still goes in the first round. Nolan Smith. He has like twelve sacks in four seasons at Georgia. That so no, it's not the it's not the scheme or the position. Like the scheme and position at Texas should be ideal for a young edge. Um, they are they are not uh, they've not made the, the pitch they're not selling it although I mean I don't think they've been bad like Billy Walton and Vossick, I think are pretty good prospects hey, hey Ian
1: I want to get your perspective on this because it's going to matter down the line what are your thoughts on LSU's defensive scheme especially for an edge player and we're talking yeah. about Colin Simmons and LSU's pitch to Colin Simmons uh, the number one edge guy in the country out of Duncanville and so, as, as hard as they're recruiting Texas on the defense defensive line guys Alex January all these guys
2: Funny you mention it because uh, their current starting edge right now is Ovia gofu <laughs> I don't know how, I don't, I have no idea how that happened. I wonder if that'll bear out after fall camp. Um, they, they have like a, they use like one edge, whereas Texas uses two. Um, I, I think that their scheme has got an easy sell. It's, it's a pretty standard. One of our ends is more of a, big guy anchor against the run. The other is a featured pass rusher that will move around. So they definitely have the pitch. Um, Texas should have a really, really easy pitch too, as far as scheme goes. It should never really factor in for Texas. We've
0: got a time for a couple more questions here. I uh, appreciate you guys staying with this. Sorry about the uh, uh, video interruption or my issues for with Wi-Fi or internet service early in this uh, broadcast. But uh, the live stream has been very active today. want to say thank you uh, once again to our sponsor, uh, Andy Ludicky at MyPerfectFranchise.net. Uh, if you're looking for, to own your own business, make your own path, uh, give MyPerfectFranchise.net a shot. Uh, text, uh, uh, Email Andy at Andy at MyPerfectFranchise.net. If you want to leave the corporate rat race uh, and own your own business, uh, Andy may be the guy uh, to hook you up and put you on the right path. That's Andy at myperfectfranchise.net. A couple more uh, questions. This has been one that I've been wanting to get to uh, for a while uh, because of some things that happened. With a UT recruiting linebacker so well, do you all think it makes more sense to motivate Jelani McDonald to play safety? I also wonder if the staff will try and manage his weight to stay around 200. Jerry, this is what we were talking about with Cedric Griffin, right?
1: Yeah, and, and, you know, Cedric Griffin, former uh, really good Longhorn corner, second-round pick of the Vikings, um, you know, he likes – he's seen the kid a lot being – his son plays at Marble, um, sorry, Lago Vista, and he's a track coach in the area. He, he likes the idea of at least starting McDonald's career at safety, nickel, and see that oh. start to see what happens with him. Um, I'm kind of the same mindset. I know Texas thinks he's going to be a linebacker long-term. Um, and I can see why they think that, um, I, I would, I would like to see him at least begin his career at, at, at nickel and just see what happens because if by chance he can do it, then you're talking about a six, 220 pound guy, yeah. with corner nickel type of feet that could be a diff a true difference maker in your defense. Um, I would like to see him get a shot at it. Um, do I? Does Texas think he's going to be there long-term? No, they don't. They think he'll be a linebacker.
0: All right, Ian, this one's for you. I think I remember PK's original defensive goal was to hold teams 17 <laughs> points per game. Do you think that will be the case this year, Ian?
2: I think it was just under 20, 20 or less was what he said. Um, and I think that was also like his overall goal. At the time, everyone was like, PK expects this defense to only give up 20 points per game. I don't think PK thought that in 2021. I think that was just his – anyway, they were at like – they were either at 20 or like 21 last year. Um, And they ran the ball a lot. Yeah. But this year with fewer possessions, I I would assume maybe one less possession per game because the the clock rule and the improvements on defense that we all expect, then, uh, yeah, I think that's a plausible goal.
0: Let's close this out with another P.K. A question about uh, Pete Kwiatkowski when, uh, from Helio Castillo. Uh, when you evaluated P.K.'s defense, what position should be the best defender year in and year out? Best or most featured? I think featured is really what he means there.
2: I think it could be fairly flexible, but a buck a dominant edge should really eat well at Buck in this defense. We haven't seen it yet in Austin. So it's been kind of not obvious, but I theoretically, like when he first got there in Washington, he he inherited this really good edge that had like 17 sacks for him or something insane, um, and then uh, it, it's definitely a, a favorable defense for a guy like that. The Mike linebacker also yeah, does. That's where I was going to. We've definitely seen that play out. Yeah, um, they need a good corner, obviously, like anybody you know, they need a good defensive tackle, but yeah, one of those linebacker positions, I think you can be kind of flexible. I think he can be a little flexible with which linebackers are are great in a given year. Got
0: it. All right. Uh, Jerry, uh, Ian, really appreciate y'all's time. We also appreciate Andy Ludicky of myperfectfranchise.net, as well as the folks over at Last Stand Hats. Just a reminder, uh, you can get 10% off uh, yeah. Last Stand Hats. Oh, wow. Jerry's. Thank you. <laughs> yes. Yeah, this is really nice uh, because I can, because you guys Love are so it. great about engaging in analysis. And for Jerry's Hawaii Scouting Fund, Leonga <laughs> Lafau, get ready. Uh, Jerry's GPS, thank you so much for a super chat of $50. Also, Les Grossman, thanks for your super chat uh, as well. Guys, this is uh, something we like to do every Friday. I'm glad we got the the uh, audio <laughs> and video cle- cleared up. Uh, and uh, Jerry, you're on your way, bud. Ian, Perfect. y'all take care. Bobby jealous on this one. (laughs) We're ready to go. The Longhorn live stream. Take care, guys.